Hello and welcome back to another Train Effective podcast. My name is Nixon. I am your host. Uh, and this week, once again, we are here with Nick. Nick, how are you doing? You okay? Yeah, amazing. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Right. So, very special guest on today's pod. We have got Kwesi Hayford here, a coach and a mentor who has worked with players such as Eddie Nketiah, uh, Calvin Bassi, uh, Eberiche Eze at Crystal Palace as well. So, Kez, thank you very much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. We look forward to this conversation. We're really going to try to delve into uh, and, and tap into a lot of your experiences and insights because we're very sure that um, what you have to say is definitely going to help out a lot of our viewers here who are on their own journeys and, and trying to improve their own game. Um, but before we get stuck into that, I actually just wanted to ask uh, something about yourself to get to get to know you a little bit uh, a bit better. And I wanted to ask, where did it all start, sort of, you know, your footballing journey? How did you become a coach? How did you become a mentor? Um, so, yeah, uh, talk us through that. Uh, how did I become a coach? Uh, I was, well, I played football all my life and then um, I went to uni. Uh, I actually studied finance at uni and then I came back and, and I just found every job application boring. Uh, I don't know why, just my love and passion and drive wasn't there to go into that world. And I started with a friend, a close friend of mine, who um, his brother-in-law had a company which was working in schools, doing some work in schools, coaching in schools. And um, I said, look, I need some extra money. I just wanted to do it. I've always enjoyed sports. And for some reason, well, my mum's a teacher, then I always just thought, you know, it'd be a good idea to do it. So... I jumped in there, I started working there, I loved it. And then for whatever reason, my gut was telling me like, I wanted to just focus more and just coaching football. Um, so I started my own little grassroots team, um, it was going quite well. And then I sort of, through that, then met another friend who at the time was working down at Crystal Palace. Um, and he invited me down to start working in the development centre. And then I never looked back. Um, and it was saying I started to really start to study started to learn more. Um, I started working there. Then I went to another club. I started working full-time at QPR. Then I went abroad, came back. So the journey sort of just went through like that. And it was like coming from more of a multi-sports background and then specialising in football uh, and then working full-time in football. And then uh, I just sort of, you know, found my home working with professional athletes and building my own elite centres and working with professional clubs and studying and, you know, one thing I think that was majorly important in my life was falling in love with the brain, falling in love with a neuroscience method that I learned in Holland and Belgium that transformed my way of thinking about football and my way of thinking about life in general. Um, and yeah, that kind of brought me to where I am today. OK, uh, tell me more about your experience that you just touched on there in Holland. Um, what, what was that opportunity like? And give me a bit more uh, detail about that. Um, so, you know, we was, on a, we was on a tour at the time I was working with QPR um, and we took a bunch of, I think at the time they were 2004s and they were under 13s at the time. We took a team over to play in a, in a competition in Dortmund in Germany and um, we thought we were good. We had a good team. I was with my, my business partner now as well um, and uh, we were there. We thought we were doing well and then all of a sudden... We came up again in a, a Dutch team uh, called Willemsvee. 
And I think we was like in the quarterfinals, something like that. And we were on the sideline. We were animated. We were shouting. It was like, yeah, come on, let's win. And the coach was sitting on a deck chair with his leg on his, his, his knee and just with his hands like this. And they beat us 3-0. I think we touched the ball twice and they played some of the best football I've seen at tournament football. And I've been to a lot of tournaments. And I couldn't understand it, why these kids were so in love. They, they had good temperaments. They moved in the spaces. They moved well. But at the time, you've just got knocked out of the quarterfinals. So your head isn't totally screwed on. So we took the kids away. We sat down. We went and we got ready to watch the semi-final because we weren't in the tournament anymore. And before they started, they started this sensible routine. And it was about 13 or 14 under 13s, perfectly in unison, making the most beautiful rhythm. Bah, 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 bah. And I had to find out why he was doing it. So I walked up to the coach, who's now um, my most significant mentor, a guy called Frank Shelton. And I asked him why. Why is he doing this? What is this? And the first thing he turned around, he looked me dead in the eyes and he said to me, are you a learner or a non-learner? And I said, learner, you know? And he said, knowledge of learning or knowledge of performance? And I said, knowledge of learning. And he said, okay, here's my number. Here's my details. If you're serious, we'll see. That was it. You know, he didn't say much more. The rest of his time, he was focused on the tournament. And um, time went on. We came back to England. I contacted him. He told me where to be in a place called Tilburg. He gave me the date. He gave me the time. He told me to be at Tilburg Stadium for 10 a.m. And so I was excited to learn. But obviously, this was over the course of about three weeks. I was trying to get hold of him. He wasn't answering. But I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to go. So I jumped on the plane. I went out over there. And, you know, I was sending him emails. I was sending him texts. He wasn't responding. Just told me where to be about three weeks ago. I got to the stadium at 9.58. He turned up at 9.59, laughing, rolled down his windows. And he said, OK, let's see. So we built up a relationship from there. The guy's a genius. He taught me everything. He brought me inside. He showed me his way of thinking, but he admitted he had learned this from another genius called Michelle Bruinings, the old uh, academy manager of Anderlecht and Standard Liège. Um, so I just started going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, learning, tried to bring my methodology back into the UK, but it wasn't really working that way with quite a stubborn culture at times. Um, I was still full-time at QPR, so it was difficult to balance my time as well. And then, you know, in the end, I just decided I'll make the jump and I'll just go and I'll, and I'll try my luck over there. And less experiences of my life. But then things didn't carry on with his trajectory there. He had some resistance to his ideas um, and he went one way and I came back to the UK. And then I continued my strive to try and understand the underpinnings of brain centred learning and try to obviously follow on those methods and bring it into my own style. And also I master that way of coaching as well. It's it's really cool to hear that in both those uh, questions that I asked you, the first one, how you got started, well, actually, you didn't set out to do it. You you studied finance at university, but you followed your passion. You followed something that you, that you loved and, and you took the opportunities that came, like you said, at Crystal Palace. And then the second one is obviously you, you were at the game in Holland and you made the connection and then there wasn't any, even an invite, but you, you took yourself down there to, to to get involved and learn from him. So it's great to hear from, from both those stories that... Um, it wasn't necessarily planned out that way, but you went after it and you got there. And and and, and like I said, that's great to hear and definitely very motivational for, for our listeners. And so I touched on at the beginning that you'd worked with the, the, the likes of Eddie and Ketia, for example. Where in your journey did, did that come about? Same with Calvin Bassi and, and Eze. Where did that come about and, and how was that? Um, all three at different times. 
um, you know, Cal, Ed, and Ed, and and Ed, three of many players that um, I actively mentor and train at the professional level and sold adjustable performance. So people are coming into our lives at different stages, in particular with me. Calvin was a young man that I had known since he was around 15 years old, 16 years old. He came one of his friends um, who was at an academy at the time. I think at the time, Bailey was at Arsenal and Calvin was never the golden boy. Calvin was someone who was quite troublesome. Calvin was someone who was quite daring. He didn't care about image, but he wasn't always focused totally on what he was doing. Um, but he had always come to me and we'd always had like a good relationship. And, you know, he was always someone who, you know, when it boiled down to it, would work hard. But he had some issues at times with his emotions and with his focus and with his concentration. But he came to me through another player um, who I admit, I think working at Stevenage at the time when we played against Spurs and then we met and then he brought a friend and that's how Calvin came into my life. And then from then we continued to train, we continued to develop a relationship. With Ebbs, Ebbs I met at QPR years ago. Um, our first sort of meetings, he was in a completely different place to where he was now. Um, he was still an under-23s player then. Uh, we weren't as close over the course. But we came back into touch again through a player that I mentor. Um, and, you know, it was really, we started really getting into the nitty-gritty at the start of the season when I watched him and I said to him, look, like, there's a lot of things that we can help and there's a lot of things that we need to change and there's a lot of things that we need to grow. And, uh, you know, to Abiri, Abiri is a human being who has one of the best mentalities I've ever seen in an athlete. He's so humble, he's so hungry to learn. So our relationship blossomed quick and, you know, it's something that, you know, we 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 I think we both value a lot. And he's someone who's sort of come to me at the latter stages of career, but still at an important time because I think timing is everything. You know, with the mentality I had now, I'm not sure how much we would have connected when he was younger. We still connected on a personal level, but on a business level, it's definitely been the right time as he's sort of gone in towards the Premier League stages of his career. And Eddie, Eddie again, is part of sort of a circle of boys that I train and mentor. Um, he's close friends with another one of our professional athletes, Jeremy Ngakia. Um, and Eddie was also a close friend of one of the talent ID guys at Just Ball as well. Um, Eddie came in to me a few years back um, in an early morning session. Um, and, you know, probably one of the main sort of, of um, catalysts in our relationship is Eddie's dad. Um, and he, again, is someone who we've developed a good relationship with over the last three seasons and really got into some really, un, you know, real fine details of his game. And again, Eddie has a great mindset um, and, and and a very dedicated, as with all of our best athletes as well. Okay, nice. And so with Nketiah, would you say, you know, at the time of meeting him, what would you say, what would you say stood out about him? Or did anything actually stand out about him? Or was it more of a, he had to work towards, he had to really graft, he had to really work hard um, to, to get to where he is now? Um, with Eddie, what stands out with Eddie is his ability to, like, if you're talking just from a football sense, 
it's it's his ability to score goals or create problems for opposition in all different situations. I always say this to him, like his ability to strike the ball wasn't always the cleanest, but he always had this aggressive intention to get shots off as quick as he, as he can. He's unbelievable in the paint, like the way he makes the box, he's aggressive, his, his, his pace, his ability to dribble. Um, and those kind of all-round attributes stood out to me because I've trained many different athletes and some athletes are just really good at one or two things. And some athletes are really just good at one thing and that gets them. Eddie's got an ability to be good at a lot of things, especially for a number nine who have got quite a select set of skills. And that stood out for me with Eddie and that infused me to work with him a lot because I saw this naturalness to, to, to score goals through his ability to be able to select different weapons when he's in the final. Um, and yeah, I think obviously he's proven that at the latter stages of last season and in the mid stages of this season. So um, a lot of his hard work, it has come to fruition, but he has also had to work hard on certain consciousness of his movement and certain aspects of his all-round game. Um, his all-round game in terms of working hard for the team and being a, a, a winner and regulating his emotions and being focused on the pitch. I think they're the things that have made Eddie go to another level. Um, his emotional regulation and his ability to help the team to win games and be more selfless. I mean, as a Man United fan, I, c I can definitely vouch for that because he hurt us at the Emirates with what was like a ninety-second minute winner, and yeah, that, that was that was a painful yeah, watch. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, so talk me through a little bit about Eddie's uh, his his mentality, um, and I asked that as well because. I remember a clip from the All or Nothing Arsenal documentary series where he's sitting at the table. I think it's with, uh, it was a new player, Nuno Tavares. And I think Tavares is basically complaining about how he's not starting and not playing. And Eddie looks at him and he just goes, do you think you're the only one that's not starting? Like, just get on with it you know, and just yeah. keep up your work. And, and I remember that that particular scene standing out to me and I've seen it on social media ever since. So yeah, talk to me, talk to me about his mentality and you know what he's been like then when you first met and what he's like now. Um, okay, well, to be honest, um, he's always professional and will never be a bad egg in terms of sulking or playing the victim or having bad relationships with staff members at Arsenal or anybody he works with on a professional level. Um, but the raw facts are, at times, what Eddie needed to deal with was his emotional regulation through disappointment in terms of things like his body language. Um, sometimes he can be too laid back. Sometimes he can... Um, not have that same level of determination when um, he hasn't scored or the opportunities have been there and they've missed him or bypassed him. And he's had to work hard at that. And Eddie is a humble person, for sure, and a learner, for sure. And it's these things that has helped him 
in terms of his mindset towards learning, but he, 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 he's had to work on these things in his game. He's had to work on being able to, for 93 minutes, not get disheartened when the ball doesn't arrive when he wants it to arrive or missing a chance or not always being the player that's actively involved in the build-up or the play in general. He's had to work hard on these things. And he went through tough times when he didn't think his future was going to be at Arsenal. And he had to come in and he had to train on his days off and he had to be more motivated than he was because he had to stay sharp for when his moments wouldn't come. And I would say with Eddie, when he's out of the moment, consciously, he's very optimistic. So you talk to him after a game and he's good at seeing the positives. But in the game, sometimes he can dwell on the negatives too much. And he's had to work hard on that. And that perhaps has been something that maybe has held him back. But now he's starting to set him free as he's starting to conquer that. You know, and I think the promise has always been there. I think there's been an article that was released by Arsene Wenger that was talking about him. The promise, the potential has always been there. But at times, and Eddie will probably admit himself, the maturity hasn't always been there. But now he's starting to grasp that. And now he's starting to elevate through those difficult times, which is... Now, for me, showing his real quality on the pitch. Just to jump in there, Kess, like, I think every player, before they really make their breakthrough, they always have one moment. Uh, I mean, usually several moments, but usually one big moment where it could have gone either way for them. Either, you know, they could have not recovered from this moment and they would have gone downhill, or they did enough just to recover and then get to the next step where they could make their breakthrough. So do you remember a moment for Eddie where, you know, it could have gone either way from him? Yeah, chelsea Stamford Bridge, 4-2 win. Biggest moment. Biggest moment, Nick. You know, because in there, if we're talking about last season in there, that was a time when it was like, OK, he's now, but can he score? Can he play against the big teams? Arsenal were in that position where everyone's thinking, yeah, they're going to lose this and they're not, they're not, you know, it was a crucial game. And I think if he doesn't play well in that game and he doesn't score in that game and score the way he scored as well, the critics come, the danger, the, 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 the negativity comes, the problems come. And I think that was a major part in his career. And then I think another major part in his career, aside from that, was West Ham at home. You know, West Ham at home when he scored because that was a bit when everyone was like, what are we going to do? There's no Jesus. And then he had been on the bench for a long time. He wasn't in the greatest place. Yet, but that really then put him back on the trajectory. So I'd say there's two moments. Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, West Ham at home at the Emirates. What, do you, what is your advice for a player like who can put himself in Eddie's shoes? You know, they know they, know they need to perform in a game you know, otherwise, yeah, maybe it could go downhill. Maybe we have a lot of Americans, North Americans that listen to this Train Effective podcast. A lot of them want to get college scholarships so they know they got to perform in that showcase game with scouts or mm. college scouts or um, play well for their recruiting video. I mean, whatever it is, they, there are these moments where you do have a bit of pressure on your shoulders and you know you need to perform. Um, what are you thinking about what it was with Eddie that, just, you know, what he did to mentally be strong in those situations and then how that could apply to any any player that's watching? Fantastic question. 
I think there's two things. One thing is realising that if you can imagine this game as every other game as you've played in your life, your whole nervous kind of feeling and anxiety and anxious kind of feeling will drop. Don't build it up. You know, don't build it and don't tell yourself this is my big day. Don't tell yourself this is my only moment. Don't tell yourself if I don't do this, then this can't be the net. Or don't allow people to say to you, oh, it's a big game next week. You have to do this. You have to do that. Never put that burden on yourself. You know, and that's one thing he does so well. Whether he's playing City or whether he's playing this one or that one, it's just another game. It's another game. It's another game. And that means what you have to do is you have to treat the games that you might not feel as important as important. So then you're always in that frame of mind. You're always in that mentality. It's all about staying neutral. It's all about never getting too excited or too down. So if tomorrow we've got just a normal league game, we have to approach it the same way we would do if it was the final game of the season and we needed to get promoted. We have to go in with the same mentality. And if you have that same mentality, consistency in, in your life and in your approach to what you do, when those big moments comes, you're going to kick into gear like it's normal. And the second thing is allow failure or allow the conception of failing to be part of the process. Like, don't think that now if you don't get the result you want, then this is going to happen or that is going to happen. Take Go into the situation telling yourself that no matter what happens, you're going to learn. No matter what happens, you're going to learn. You're going to learn no matter what, whether it's successful or unsuccessful. In your mind, it's a learning It's a learning curve. So if you've got a trial and there's 50 scouts coming and you've only got 45 minutes to play, well, no matter what, you're going to learn how to play your best in those 45 minutes. So even if you might think that there isn't going to be another opportunity, I tell you what, there is going to be one. And I tell you what, you're going to be better prepared for it because you would have gone through this process first, you know? And I think it's those two perceptions that help the top athletes. And it's those two pieces of advice I'd give to any aspiring athlete or any player that's under pressure or in a pressurised moment. It's going in and treating it like it's another day. And it's going in and being willing and hoping that failure is going to lead you on to better and greater things. And I think that's a message, spot on, man. Uh, I think that's a message for every player that's watching who, you know, maybe they got a tryout, tryout in June or July or May or end of the year, what, you know, whatever it is. And they're thinking, oh, you know, I just want that day to come around. I want that day to come so I can prove myself already. Uh, but actually what you're saying here is like, you know, your moment starts now. Or actually it started yesterday. It's all about the preparation that you're doing now, how you treat every training. You know, whether it's the training that you're doing yourself, what intensity you're doing it at. Um, if you're if you're setting goals for those trainings, like when, when I go train even today individually, it's always um, if I'm doing a training drew myself and I've got a goal small, I'll put a mini goal in the goal itself. And it's all about uh, trying to hit um, that goal more times than I miss. So I'm always putting myself in those pressure situations. So it's like right, in your individual, individual training set goals, treat it like a... a like Mourinho is watching or uh, Alex mm. Ferguson is watching, whoever is watching, if you're yeah. watching it. And it all starts today. For anyone that's got their opportunity, it all starts in your next session today, in your next game, 
Uh, and then eventually when you do get that big chance, well, I mean, it's just another day, just like you said. 100%. So. Couldn't agree more, Nick. Couldn't agree more. And, well, I wanted to ask a question. I think that what you both have just said, um, that touches into, into my, my next question as well. Now, this question is suited to Eddie, but realistically, it could be for anyone who is of a similar situation, right? So for someone like Eddie... Um, he had, like you say, a good spell last year where he, he played a few games in a row. There was that 4-2 win against Chelsea where he played well. This season, similar sort of thing. Gabby Jesus gets injured. He comes in, plays well for a few games, but then someone like Trossard comes to the team. And now Trossard's keeping him out of the team a little bit and, he, and he's no, now no longer starting every game. So what advice would you give him or any other player who is in a similar situation where they're in and out of a side they're maybe a fringe player, uh, if you like. So, yeah, what would you, what advice would you give to a player who is in that kind of scenario? First things first is you need to be able to stay sharp. So you're going to have to do that extra training, those extra miles, those extra things you need to to replicate what it would be like playing every week. Because there's no fitness like match fitness. And the way it turns around is like, okay, so let's picture, obviously he's injured now, but let's just say Eddie was, like you said, like last couple of games waiting to come on or waiting for his moment to come on because there's a new starting lineup and the team's winning. There's going to be a point where it's nil-nil, where it's 1-1, where they're 2-1 down and it's tight and he needs to say, come on. Or there's going to be a cup game or there's going to be another fixture where your moment comes again, where you're going to need to show and prove. You have to be fit. You have to be fit. Because it's usually in those moments where tiredness or lack of sharpness keeps you on the bench. So if you're in a normal fixture regime, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday game, and then Sunday's your recovery, and Wednesday's your off day, Wednesday's no longer your off day. Sunday is no longer your recovery. So, yeah, most clubs will say, all right, cool. Or if you're a non-league, whatever it is, the people that didn't play, you come in on a Sunday, you train. Or if you're at a different level and everybody's off on the Sunday, no, you're up. You need to train. You need to do something. And you need to replicate the intensity of what it would have been like to play for 90 minutes. And then if you're at a club and the rest of the players who aren't training, or sorry, who, who have been training, who didn't play in a match, they go in at, 12 or they go in after an hour and a half or whatever the session is, stay out. Because the training session is not replicating the match. You need to stay out and you need to demand that you stay out and you need to do more repetition. Because when your moment comes, you have to be ready and you have to be fit enough to show that you're sharp enough to play. Because sometimes you'll come on 2-1 down, 1-0 down, 1-1, and it's a tight game. It's a tight game. So how are you going to be ready if you haven't done the extra work? So my first bit of advice is, is to do more. You have to, as soon as you're out of the team, you have to do more. And the worst thing you can do is get angry or get upset and do less. A lot of players, they, ah, oh, the manager's not picking me. I'm not bothering now. Yeah, oh, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's violating me. Oh, he's out of order. He's picking him over me. I'm better than him. The manager's decision is nothing to do with you. Until you've been a manager, don't worry about the manager. Most players want to dictate what the manager does. It's nonsense. <laughs> Sometimes you'll win and you'll be out the team. 
let the manager pick who he's going to be and don't straight away start pulling the manager when you're not playing or asking him why you're not playing. Let the team fan pan out, do your job and work hard and be prepared. And, you know, uh, another thing I'd say in this as well is, is you need to also build confidence in these times. So, like, you know, confidence is, is coming from clarity, yeah? So what you need to do in these moments is you need to go back and you need to look at your game and you need to learn where you can improve and then use that to then go and use that knowledge to go and do what you need to do in those extra sessions. Don't just run or run up a hill or go for a treadmill sprint. Like, do actually what you need to do to improve. So if maybe you missed a couple of clearances, go and work on your contacts. If maybe you and your body and your mind, you start to build confidence because you start to feel that level of improvement because when you're out of the team, sometimes you drop in confidence and you drop in belief, you know? Um, and the last thing I'd say, and obviously it depends on what level you're at, is don't listen to the critics. Don't be on Twitter. Don't be on Inst don't be on these social media platforms where people are paid for controversy. Because this is a big this is a big mistake for professional footballers, and also it doesn't relate as much to amateur players. But I still think there is an element of that in your own peers. But when you've got comments saying that you're not good enough or you have, you need to come off that platform. And it's even that when you're doing wrong, don't read into that either. Again, it's neutrality. Like if you get too excited, you'll crash. If you get too low, you'll burn when you get up. So it's all about staying neutral. So those just a follow-up question. Yeah. Just a follow-up question on that. Like um, with Train Effective, we have a lot of players that, you know, they're using the app, they're coming to the camps and they're on their journey, right? And that journey is going up like this, but mm. they're they're making these little steps along the journey and um, they're challenging themselves. Oh, that's what we try and do. We try and push them to challenge themselves, you know, try and play at a higher level and just challenge, push. But every step that they take, a lot of times they might be joining a new team. Maybe the new team is a higher speed of play, uh, new players, things like that. And um, we do get this question a lot about how do I get uh, off the bench now? How do I get back in the squad? Just like with the question you've answered. But just are there are there some common things that you do see from players when they make that step up that commonly they just don't don't adapt? And they're just common things that could apply to a lot of players listening. Hundred hundred percent. The first one is feeling. So you go in and you feel this buzz. Oh, you're at a new team. You picture in your head, I'm going to be the great, I'm going to be the guy everyone talks about. And then you don't play. You don't play or you don't play as well. Or Then that bubble gets burst and it pops and you go boom. And then when you go down, the work rate drops as well. So... It's like you have to, and the most common thing is your expectations. You have to go in with no expectations and you have to respect you're going into a system that's already been functioning without you. Most players want to go in and, you know, Nick, it's interesting because when you're the new guy, people make a fuss. 
So you get that little bit of a fuss, but then all of a sudden you're just back in again as one of the ranks, but you still want people to make a fuss about you. And you've got to get rid of that. And that is the most common mistake. You, you have to get rid of that and, and, and take away expectations and really be a reader of the room. And the ones who fail are the ones who, or not fail, but the ones who maybe don't hit the ground and go in are the ones who expect all these things to happen and expect it to be brilliant and expect it to go the way they want. And when it doesn't, they drop their work rate. And the ones who end up, for me, um, fitting in and adapting are the ones who don't go in with an expectation but are just happy. They get to know people and then they outwork people and they surround themselves in an environment that is one of, okay, I'm here to respect what's happening already, but I'm also here to prove myself, but I'm going to prove myself through work, rate and humility, you know? And I think this is the defining thing. Like when you go in and you think everything's going to go easy, you suddenly plummet. Go in expecting nothing. Just be happy that you're in a new environment and learn about it first. Read the room first. But most importantly, improve your work rate. Your work rate has to go up. Yeah, that is the most important thing because you're going to be now in a different demand bracket. And you have to meet that demand bracket. You can't do what you did before and expect it to survive where you are now. It's a hundred percent, Kes, because like, say, you know, let's take a boy uh, in the US watching right now. Let's say he lives in um, in New York. And then yeah. they might be the top one of the top one percent of players in the in a borough of New York. So say in Queens, New York, they're like the top one percent, one of the best in Queens. But, and then they get selected for the regional um, New York team. So now you're competing against the top 1% uh, of the 1%. And then from there, maybe it's the whole East Coast of America. And then it's the 1% and the 1% there. And then it's the 1% and 1% of America. And then who knows, maybe you play, uh, you go play a trade abroad and you're the top 1%. So, so there's always new levels, new pools you go into and um you see in every level that you progress through that there's a different work rate different demands expected you know, different speed different way of communicating just different expectations and yeah. you're exactly right the, the players that go in go in with this mindset of i'm going to learn i'm going to improve i'm also going to work the hardest but i've got no mm -hmm. expectation other than to soak everything up like a sponge i remember rio ferdinand um i think he said this on our mentality course in the app he said that he he'd come in I think it was in a, a World Cup or Euro squad. Uh, early <laughs> in his career. And he, he just, I don't think he played much, but I remember him saying he'd just go um, into the into the room where they're eating and just observe our, Alan Shearer, um, some of these nice. top players, and just see what they do like off the field, um, just how they'd act, but on the field, obviously, as well, and just how they conduct themselves. So when it came to the next Euro, the next um, major country tournament, you know, he already knew, okay, this is what I learned at the other tournament. This is what I'm going to apply. This is how I'm going to get better and better um, until he became a legend, obviously. But that's that's 100%. Yeah, I love that Love that uh, story. Yeah. It's interesting about you saying about Rio Ferdinand there, about seeing the mannerisms of players. And 
And I want to ask you this question because I asked Simon Simon O'Neill, train effective coach, this question as well. And his 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 answer to this I found quite interesting. So I'll ask you as well. Before you even watch a set of players get on the pitch, before they even lace their boots, do is there anything that you look out for in the mannerisms, in their mannerisms, in the way they carry themselves, in the way they speak to you? Is there anything before they even get on the pitch that stands out for you or puts you off uh, a particular player? Yeah, for sure. Um, I look, first of all, I think at just... I wouldn't say, like, general appearance, but, like, literally, you know, are they are they there because, you know, they're... Like, how... How confident are they moving? Like, is their head up? Are their shoulders slouched? Uh, are they greeting people that they don't know? Are they like... So, for instance, you can have some players, they come in, they don't talk to anyone. You can have some players, they come in and they shake everyone's hands. They greet people, they acknowledge people. I gravitate to the second one because my mindset straight away is I want to try and try and read the person's intentions for being there. I know everybody's there to play football, but how many people acknowledge that they need the other people around them in order to be great or be good or even play? And it's like understanding if that person has that awareness straight away kind of tries to tell me what type of person that is. Because what I like to read into is a lot of, 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 of how players are thinking about the bigger picture, you know, because that's what football is. You know, if... If if I'm playing with Nick and Nick passes and he's mis- and 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 he passes his uh, uh, underweight and it's the wrong weight that I was looking for at the time, am I still going to run for him? If he steps out and he goes to press the centre back, am I still going to press with him? Am I with him and is he with me, or am I just there because when Nick makes a bad pass, I want to make Nick look bad. I want him to feel a certain that because I'm the man, I'm the guy, I'm the one that. These kind of things I believe in a lot because I believe in the best players. They're very aware of other people. They're very aware of the society that they're in, in terms of the football changing room and pitch, no matter what level you're at, you know, and sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes it's nerves. Sometimes it's a lack of confidence. And when you get to know them, they open up and they're different people than you thought they were. But the first thing I read is how aware are they, the environment that they're in? You know, and how respectful are they of the environment that they're in? This is a major thing for me. You know, an interesting thing is I always leave balls in the bag when we before we start training. And what I do is I'll ask the players to get the ball or balls out of the bag. And what I see is two differences. Sometimes a player will get one ball out and start warming up himself or herself. And then some players will get all of the balls out so everybody can get them and play with them when they need to and then go off and warm up himself. And I look at that a lot. You know, I don't know why. You know, I look at whether a player picks up cones after sessions or, you know, has that awareness. These things are key because, you know, this is telling me subconsciously. I don't care consciously. I want to know your subconscious. Subconsciously, what person am am I in front of at the moment? So, yeah, definitely the awareness of the surroundings is the thing that I look for the most. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because I feel like it kind of goes back to, like, you know, you can have all the talent in the world, but if your intentions aren't there, if your mannerisms are negative and, and you don't have 
the correct outlook every single time you step on the training pitch and then you know it might not be worth anything to have all that talent in the end um yeah. i think um really- I, I think just for the players that don't quite get the example because I, I i think we straight away get it but maybe for the players that don't if a player is not picking up the cones after training um or getting out all the balls it obviously shows a lot about the the teamwork or their mentality if they're selfish they're unselfish and of course for a coach those signs are really important. So just a bit of context for players who might not have understood. Mm. That's really why, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Um, now, I did want to move on to like some, some more questions similar to uh, the ones we've just had um, that will draw into your experiences and your insight and hopefully help our, our, our viewers. But I did also <clears throat> just want to ask you, because you've obviously been a, uh, you've become a mentor for, for the Train Effective Online uh, Virtual Academy. I actually wanted to ask you, how has that been for you talking and coaching players from, from all around the world? How's that been? Um, I love it. It's I always feel that when you're educating, you're educating yourself. Um, so it's funny because the type of questions that come back, you're not expecting them because you're so in this world, you don't realise how the other world perceives football as well. And so some of the questions that come back on the online academy are so interesting that, you know, the other day we were doing a webinar on a journey from a player and you always think they're going to ask you um, questions about, you know, but they were asking questions about recovery. You know, they're asking questions about opportunities. They're asking questions about um, things that I wouldn't have immediately thought that young players or striving players would talk about. And, I think it's great that, and it's interesting because obviously what Nick just did then, of you you have to be able to put things in a context for people that you maybe not, you haven't really experienced their world or you don't come across their world on a daily basis. So working with the virtual academy and the online academy, for me, it's a blessing and it's something that's improving, I think, myself and all the other mentors that are on it as well to understand people from different walks of life and from different worlds and you know it's educating me more about me as well and opening my mind to maybe perhaps some things that I take for granted it's really it's really interesting to hear and I feel like um with what you said about the the questions that you don't necessarily expect and I might be wrong about this this is just a a theory that I've just thought of on, on the spot but because we're coming into sort of, if you like, the, the information era where like all information is out there for us to look up and find. And, and I feel like kids are a lot more curious now uh, about those things, um, about the recovery, about the nutrition uh, and, and everything else that comes with football apart from just playing it. Um, and so going on, well, mm. I wanted to ask, um, with the way you you put it I'd never thought about it that way but when a player isn't playing their schedules are different their recovery times are different and so they don't have the match fitness that a regular player has in that scenario how would you advise a player to stay at the same level of fitness that a player has if they are playing week in week out okay so it's not as basic as just running um because that isn't going to condition the muscles for the impacts. So what I would say is, is like, let's say for instance, you're a, you're a centre midfielder. Um, go onto the pitch and 
ping or do long range passing, um, do receiving in between the lines, uh, do striking on the edge of the box, uh, do your flick ons, do your heading, do your receiving if you have got someone with you under pressure. Like, try and like replicate the type of movements you would do in the match. Don't just run. Because what you're then doing is you're getting your central nervous system ready for that. You're never going to replicate it identically. But we make a common mistake sometimes, especially with like apps like Strava and GPS, which track distance. You start thinking, well, if in a match I run 10K and then I just go and I run in the park and I do a 10K run, then I'm, I'll, 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 no, because it's two different energy systems. You know, you go into a duel, that's a lot different from when you go into a, a 300 meter, you know, half pace run. So I would say do a lot with the ball, do a lot with, you know, the actual um, movements and dynamics and sessions and, it's like, you know, I've 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 been on the Train Effective app and you can see there's a lot of exercises there that are game related. You're doing things with a ball. You're doing things that, so you can just go on these tools and use these tools to stay sharp, to stay fit, even if it's by yourself. Don't just run. So my major thing here is replicate what you do in the game. Go in the park, hit 50 balls. Go in the park, hit 50 shots. Receive the ball 50 times. You know, gain advice from educational tools like Train Effective App. Learn different ways to improve what you're doing in terms of its relatedness to the real game. And then you'll be more conditioned for that time. Kes, like, it used to be that I'd go down to the park when I was 13, 14, and I'd just, I'd go with a mate after school and just, you know, obviously he'd be in the goal, I'd be taking shots. I mean, it's just for fun or whatever. I realised how... Well, if I'd spent that hour where I was like really trying to hit one target or really trying to get, I don't know, five goals in a row, like all these things, it really gets your mind focused on where to place the ball, how to hit the ball and gets really, really concentrated. Mm-hmm. So one, once a training or a match comes around, um, you're, you're well more conditioned. Like you said, your, your central nervous system, yeah. your CNS is prepared for that. But yeah. what, what's wanting – so say this, Kess, I'm playing as a striker this season for a team here. And um, I want to score more goals. I know that um, mm. today when I have training, training starts around 7. So um, if I get there 6.15, 6.30, maybe I'll, I'll, do, I'll do a bit of a, um, some stuff by myself beforehand just to, to get myself prepared. Oh. Um, yeah. Like, what, what, what should I do? I want to score more goals this season. What can I do by myself in those 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes where – just, ha- just me and the ball, maybe a goal as well, because I want to score more goals yeah. this season. I want to, I want to perform well in the training. Yeah. Okay. So, um, get inside the box with the balls, and be sort of on the diagonal. Don't be straight in front of the goal. Like go on sort of one of the corners, you know, like in the box. So you're at an angle, and start at a standing still point. Shift it with the outside of your foot and bend it in the far corner. Do that 10 times. Then push it, push it again, and then strike it across your body and go near post. Do that off both sides and do that off both feet, yeah? 
then get the ball, throw it up yourself, jump and try and head the ball and meet it at its highest point. Do that 10 times. Then spin near the goal, but put your back to the goal. And then with your back to the goal, shift it one side or shift it the other and strike it across your body on the turn. Um, the reason I'm saying do these actions are these are the most common types of finishes you're going to get as a striker. And without having anyone there to play you in, what you need to do is be able to practice when the ball's at a standing still, shifting it and then getting good contact with minimal steps. And then the heading is obviously self-explanatory. You know, you're going to need to head the ball when the ball's being crossed or in any other chances in the second phase of crossing deliveries in the air. So so if Claire, our head of content, is watching, there's Kessa's 15-minute pre-training uh, strikers workout right there. Uh, yeah. we got, you just yeah. mentioned about four or five different drills that uh, we could do a yeah. quick workout on. So, okay, that's great. Fantastic. I, just on top of that, like I remember uh, listening, I think it was to Steph Curry. He has um, this app called Masterclass, and Steph Curry has a class on there. And um, I remember listening to it, and he would say that, like before he when he starts a training he'll he'll do the really simple things first like instead of taking hitting three points um from the three-point line um he'll do simple free throws and just try get 10 in a row do the simple things first and then he'll take a step backwards hit more shots then he gets to the three-point line does more shots and um i think that's a great i was just thinking about it now like that's a great way to build your confidence so Maybe it's taking those 10 shots in the, to the far corner and to the other other corner, but from a closer range first and then stepping back just so you build that confidence, you build that technique. Um, and um, sure. yeah, maybe that's also a tip for players out there watching. Yeah, for sure. And even if you can put a target in the goal, you know, a cone, something to give you feedback uh, will be good for, for, you, for, you, for your learning. Guys, I can't tell you how fun it is for the guys that are out there training today or this week by yourself. Look, don't look at it as like this thing that you have to do that is boring. Man, I, I, I've been training by myself for like 10, 15 years. Well, like 15 years. And every way, every time I, I find ways to try and make it more fun, like mm. just a simple act of putting um, a target in the goal or one of those mini goals in the goal or just putting a cone one meter away from the post and just trying to hit that with power and accuracy every time guys it is fun i'm telling you it's like it's like I'm playing true. a game with yourself like if you got 10 strikes and you miss four but you get in six then then you you count that as a pass but if you miss six and you only get in four then maybe you got yourself 10 push-ups or 20 push-ups if you treat it as a game guys it's it's fun <laughs> it might sound so crazy true. but seriously once you start doing it it's just like what kes says maybe you drop to the bench maybe you don't play have a good game but if you have fun in these trainings, if you work hard and you focus, that is the goal. That's that's the fun part. Yeah. And then the goals that you score later and the good performance you have later, which is a result of that, it's almost like it's like a bonus. And um, mm. if you have that mentality, guys, it's, it's so fun. And that's what creates a longevity in the game. It's not that you're just motivated to train for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, but for years. And you treat it as a habit and you love that. And then you start loving the stuff that you do before training on the days that you don't have training and the extras and you just continue with that. So fun. Sorry to go on that rant, but it had to be said. Yeah. It had to be said. Your enthusiasm, Nick. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs>
you know what as well i have to say like you said they're like oh i know it might sound crazy but to be honest i don't think it does sound crazy i think for most of us like we play because we love the game and if you love the game yeah. then you love doing any sort of anything football related go on Nick. i'll tell you i'll tell you why it's crazy like uh, i i posted a tiktok it was like a year and a half ago and the tiktok is me you can, you can find this out there I, we, we could probably link it in the the comments or something but basically like i got my back to the goal it's a similar exercise to what you said, Kes. Got my back to the goal, and I, I pretend there's a player out in front, and I like got my hand up or my my hand uh, back, like shielding him, and then I'd be like, uh, <laughs> "What's say? Say, Bobby, Bobby, pass me the ball," and I'm just trying to make it match like, so I'm just shouting. But I remember that day feeling a bit tired, a bit lethargic. It was Sunday morning, and I was like, oh, "I got to wake up. I'm just gonna shout." I'm gonna pretend it's a match situation so I can focus, get in the zone, and um and bang bang goals into this mini goal. And guys, like I, that's the whole thing of the TikTok. Yeah, uh, it might be a bit crazy, but hey, it woke me up, it got me in the mood, and uh, yeah, it created good content. So nice. No, no, and I think as well, like it's just we have to highlight the importance of individual training as well. We actually uh, we came across. Um, uh, a, a picture of uh, Martin Odegaard's weekly schedule as a as a 13 year old that he had written down or him and his parents had written down for him and the schedule was crazy is there's 24 hours of training in a week as a 13 year old but what I found really interesting was that he was doing more individual training than his team was training and so mm. I, I think that's the perfect example for for, for just how uh, important individual training is it's like um, son's dad just another example because son son yeah. men fans out there like his dad was training him like to do what like four hours of juggling a day like yeah crazy crazy like that. yeah but you got to do that if you're going to stand out and especially if you're going to come from asia i think uh first european place he went to was germany and like you know in general german german players in the, the systems is better than the ones in korea um, so he's got to really come in and outwork everyone and, and do all this other stuff. So his dad had the right mindset for him, definitely. Yeah, spawn, spawn. Um, now, I wanted to ask you this as well, and it can be more than one answer. It doesn't have to be one. But what are one or some common mistakes that you see in players um, as they journey through uh, you know, their football life and as they try to make it pro? Common mistakes, yeah. They think it's going to be easy, Nick. They think it's going to be easy. Yeah. <laughs> That's number one is the biggest mistake. They think it's just one straight road and no one's going to have anything like bad to say about them or it's all going to be justice. And when you play well, you climb. That's a big, big mistake is, is, is the, the conception that everything's fair. And everything's going to be the way that you want it to be. Um, I think another big mistake is also, um, it, sound, it might sound weird, but having too many friends. Yeah, having too many friends sounds weird because with this, you need positive influences in your life always. And I'm not saying that if you have 30 friends, you can't have 30 good influences in life. But, you know, a law of averages, 
one or two aren't. And you've got to really choose your circles wisely and the people you surround yourself with, you know. And really think keeping the common mistake is <coughs> is being around the wrong people, you know, and listening to the wrong advice and having the wrong energy around you as a person. Um, I'd say another mistake is just not working as regularly enough, like not enjoying it and not putting enough love into what you're doing, you know, just kind of doing the bare minimum and expecting that to get you through and not being open and listening to things that people are advising you to do. Listening is one of the, 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 the greatest skills of a human being and it's heavily, heavily um, undervalued. You know, you have to be able to listen when people are telling you that you need to do more and then go and do more. And a lot of people undertrain in football. You know, if you as a martial artist, you would train a lot more. But why can't we as footballers train like martial artists? You know, so I feel like, you know, those three things are major uh, uh, problems. It's expectancy, it's company and it's frequency. And going off that, and it might be a little bit similar, but also what are then some of the common like mental hurdles that some players have to get over um, throughout their journeys? Not playing. Not playing yeah. is the biggest hurdle. Yeah, not playing. To be a professional footballer or to be a footballer of any capacity, you have to learn how not to play. And it goes back to what we were saying before. You have to be prepared when your moment comes. How do you do that? Because that we talk like this now, it's very difficult. If you think you deserve to play and you're not playing, how you cope with that will define your destiny. And it's learning how to deal with that that sets you free because it means that when you do get your moment, you take it or you give yourself a better chance of taking it. And when we're confident, we all know what happens. Yeah. And I'll definitely say the, the, the second hurdle is change. Change, like change, you know, life is always changing, but in football, things change constantly. You know, you, you could be in America, you could be playing at high school, your high school coach goes to another school, all of a sudden you've got a new one, he's different, he doesn't understand you. How do you change? You know, you might have people come into your life. How do you change? People leave your life. How do you change? You get an injury. How? Do you... There's so many changes. You know, your parents relocate. You move country. Change. How... Change is a big... And those who can adapt quickest, they grow. They fly. You know, and this is where I think there's major hurdles. It's change. And we have it with so many men of our athletes. They changes so often. And how they adapt to those change, and even just to change from being a youth player to a men's player, going from youth football to first team football, this is one of the most difficult obstacles in England, because the style changes, the manager changes, the emotions change, the demands change, and how you change, it's everything. I could, I, I, I couldn't emphasize it any more than that. So yeah, I think those are the two hurdles: not playing and change. You know, is the key. But on that same point, like if if you love some if you love what you do so much, if you love something so much, like 
you know, things are going to change for you every day with school, work, relationships, people in your life. But the thing with when you play football, when you do a sport, that never changes the the feeling of playing. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm fortunate enough. You know, we also do with, do this with the camps. We had like 330 players last year that came to the camps in London and the US. And I've gone to many of these to meet the players and everyone's the same. Like people talk differently People have different skill levels and whatnot, but everyone in in everyone at the end of the day is really the same. Like when you play football, you and you all love this one thing together. Everyone's really the same, man. And as long as you have that in your life and you play it every day, you do the training every day. That that doesn't really change. Um, mm. And if you have that constant in your life, I think that can bring a lot of satisfaction, a lot of happiness, and a lot of something that you, you can just lead uh, lean on despite despite whatever positive or negatives that you have in your life that go on every day so just a message to the players out there listening if you're thinking of quitting because times get too hard when you play or whatnot whatnot just, just remember why you started the game remember why you fell in love with love with it in the first place and keep that going until your legs can't move anymore hopefully oh true so true i think i think that's such a good point is love Love, man. Love, love and enjoyment gets you through everything. It's the common ground for all players, huh? No pun intended. Um, <laughs> but, so another question I wanted to ask was, um, let's just say, and, and you mentioned it with change, let's just say a player has been injured, right? They are going to be sidelined for six months. Mm. Um, and so what would what advice would you give that individual throughout the recovery process as well as when it gets to the time of playing again when they're not quite up to speed and you know how is someone supposed to or like how how can they stay positive and remain happy throughout the time where the thing they they love most is taken away from them for such a prolonged amount of time yeah it's it's an interesting question um and it will change from individual to individual but I'd say that the most important thing that you have to realise is, you know, opportunity and looking at what opportunity you do have when you're injured. Because the whole point of rehabilitation when you're injured is to come back stronger. So it's your opportunity to pause. It's your opportunity to reflect and it's your opportunity to build and come back stronger and, you know, more focused and more open. And you have to really try and tap into that optimism, but there'll be different ways, you know. Sometimes you just have to switch off and then choose the moment when you switch back on, you know, because sometimes if you're just sitting there and you're thinking and thinking and thinking, it can drive you a bit crazy. So sometimes... You've just got to switch off. But when you stu do start to come back into the fold, you need to see this as an opportunity. And you also need to understand and recognise that there isn't anything you could do about it. It's happened. So now you need to focus on now. And it has also happened for a reason. You know, I think injury and dealing with injuries has been one of the biggest learning curves for me as a mentor. One of the biggest learning curves. I see I'm going through it now with Eddie. He's injured. He got injured in the last 15 seconds at home against 
Leicester when they were four nil up. You know, so you think like you know, like you just said, like there's been a little bit of volatility with starting. You get back in, you know, you come off the bench. It's twenty minutes, I think it was. I think it came on in seventy four minutes. You get a good assist. You're winning four nil. Home time. On to the next one. Bang! Injury, sprained ligament, out four weeks. So you need to switch off for a week. Just let us forget it's happened. Then as you start to understand the significance of the injury, you deal with whatever the news is. And then as you start to get closer, you then see it as an opportunity to come back stronger and hungrier and more focused. But it's a process. And I didn't understand how important that process was until working with some of these guys because... There's so much out of your control when you're injured. You know, you don't have good form, you can train or you can do other means or processes to help you regain form. You're playing well, happy days. You just keep working as hard as you possibly can. You're at the team, okay, work, work hard to get back in the team. You're injured, there's the lack of control there. So, you have to then put those mechanisms in place to try and help you mentally to get back into a happy place. And most of that is about recognising the opportunity with the time that you're out of the game. Um, and I'd also say, like, learn about the injury. That's something that's helped me a lot. Learn about the injury. So when when some of our athletes are getting injured, I'm going to the appointments with them. I'm going to the scans. I'm telling them to send me the scans. Then I'm talking to them about the injury. I'm talking to them about, you know, most recently one of our athletes, he had a torn tear in his hamstring. But instead of the tear being this way, the tear was this way. I don't know if you could see it. So his muscle tore like that. So we then started to learn about the difference between the muscle tear being here compared to the muscle tear being uh, being being here, you see, and learning how the muscle tearing like this stopped him from having surgery, but then also understanding that rehabilitation process was different and that this was also then going to have implications on other parts of his body, so we needed to get his own process. And all of that time we spent learning about it, the rehabilitation process became more enjoyable. You've got to learn why you're injured. Why are you injured? What's happening with your body? Because your body's going to compensate somewhere else. We need to man we need to manage that as well. You know, and we're fortunate because we have some of the best injury specialists, I believe, in the industry, an organizational called Touch Tweener, who really educate our athletes and really teach them about the rehabilitation process. A guy called L. Lynch and Mariana. And they they have helped and saved so many of our athletes' careers and also helped them come back with more focused and more positive minds and stop the reoccurrence of injuries as well, which I think is fantastic. It, <clears throat> it's interesting how you say about throughout the process of them learning about the injury, it goes quicker. And it's, I guess it's because it's a little side hobby <clears throat> that they've picked up throughout mm -hmm. the process. And um, we we spoke to Sahil a few or a month ago now and, and he, he plays out in Dubai and he really put the, uh, a big importance on having outside hobbies and having that ability to every now and then switch off um, from the game. And, and it's interesting that what you said sort of goes on the, the, the similar lines there. 
Um, did did Eddie have a conversation with you at all after the he picked up the injury? Was there any communication there between you two after that injury? Yeah, I messaged him. <laughs> he messaged <laughs> me back. I said to him, "Chill out for a couple of days. I'll shout you soon." He sent me back a spud. I left him, and then I called him about five days after. Obviously, I wanted to know the extent of the injury. You know, Arsenal are fantastic with these things. Like, we got a scan straight away. He saw a specialist straight away. We knew he didn't need surgery. And then, you know, four days later, we're kind of already talking on a positive note about it, you know. And, you know, you know, we have analysis to do. We have to analyse his game now. And, you know, he's back mobile again because for a part, he was in the boot, so we couldn't drive. But it was more like, OK, what next? You know, and you kind of took away that fear and that worry and that doubt. But that was speaking to him five days later. I definitely knew calling him a day after or a day two after. And I hate that anyway. I'll be honest with you. Like when players get injured, I hate calling them up because what are you going to say? Oh, keep going. Oh, yeah, don't worry. It's okay. They know that. They know that. They don't need you to tell them that. What they need is they need solutions. You know, they need solutions. And probably the first thing they want to know is, Am I going to need a am I going to need operation or not? And we've had some bad stories where players have been out of contract and injured, and they're you know it's all the same thing. You need to find out if you need this operation. If you don't, one way. If you do, another way. And either way, you've got to deal with it. But yeah, we spoke a bit. We spoke a bit. <laughs> spoke a bit. Nah, that's that's quite funny. It's funny that you say you wouldn't talk to him if you, a day nah. or two after. You give him time to settle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> time, timing is everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love that. All right. So this is like the, the last big question that I'll ask you today. Um, and so yeah. I wanted to ask, what advice would you give to a player who say they have spent most of their lives playing in an academy? So maybe they're 15, 16, 17, they've been in an academy from young and then they're dropped. What steps and what advice would you give to that individual who's just been dropped? What what would you advise in- them to do going forward? As in they've been released, yeah? Yeah, they've been released, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question. Um, first things first is, is don't go on trial after trial after trial after trial after trial. Yeah, don't come out of a club and then go, right, I need to go and get signed again. Because... One, you could be successful, but you're going straight back into the same environment that you just came out of, and it's the same thing. You know, no disrespect to Akanis, but they're all pretty much the same. Two, if you keep getting rejection, you're going to fall out of love with what you do, and you're going to start questioning what you do. Don't expose yourself to that. There's no need to do that that quickly. So the best thing is come out, And just for a bit, play for fun. Just enjoy. Don't don't have this mindset of my time is running out. It is the biggest mistake in the world, man. Oh, I've been released. I'm 17 years old. I'm never going to play professional footballer. You're crazy. Of course you are. Oh, I've come out of Chelsea Academy. Like, no one's going to... Oh, I've come out of AFC Wimbledon. No one's going to think I'm good. Listen... Some of our best athletes have been released at 18, 19 years old. So 
don't start having this mindset of time. Don't put a time limit on your life. Just come out, pause, and reconnect with why you love the game. Go and train in the park. Go and train with your friends. Go and play a bit. Don't have all of this pressure on yourself. And then when you feel comfortable and you feel like you can face rejection or you feel like you can face success, then try and find a home again or find an academy again. But go in with an intention. You know, go in with an intention as in you're going in and you're brave and you're determined and you're happy. Don't go in feeling like, I'm not sure if I want to do this. Because if you feel like that, just don't do it because it will just hurt you. And we see it all the time, you know. And at the end of the day, if you're a little bit older and you're 18, you're 19, try not to go down this, let me go into 23's football. Just try and go and play men's football. Try and find a, a route to get you into that environment if physically and mentally you're ready for that. Because if you can put yourself in that environment, then it will help you to become a better player and it will help you to actually have a career quicker than playing fake football. And I would also say the last thing I'd say in advice is, is don't have a pretentious mindset over what club you go to. So if you've come out of Arsenal, don't think you're too big to go and play for Leighton Orient or don't reject clubs because you think they don't have this facility or that facility or whatever. No, it's nothing to do with that. It's where you can go and find a platform to showcase your talent. Be grateful for any opportunity that comes your way. You know, this is key. This is key. And I think that's one of the most important things and the mistakes I see with a lot of players. They go, no, 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 I don't want to. And then they end up doing nothing, coming back. And I see a lot of other people, they get released and straight away, it's like, da, 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 da. no, take your time a bit, make sure you're happy and content within yourself and then maybe pursue it again. Nice, love that. So <clears throat> take the pressure off your, your shoulders a little bit, enjoy the game again and then moving forward, be humble, take the, the opportunities as, as they come. Yeah, love that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Nick, if you have any if you have any last urgent questions before 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 I end the podcast, uh Nick's real. Yeah, yeah, great. Um I think uh what I've loved about this one, there's a lot of uh I think street smarts as well, which don't get often talk about. So so I love that. No, it's, it's been real. Love it. Nice. Thanks for having Thanks, me guys. as well, guys. Enjoy. Of course, of course. All right, so last question. A quick one. Now, this can either be the easiest question of the day or the hardest. We'll see. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be hard. I nah, it, it might not be. It might not be. The, the way you think, it might not be. So it, it could okay. be nice, straightforward. Messi okay. or Ronaldo? Messi. That's it. Messi. Easy yeah. like that. See, I told you. It might be Oh, easy. that's so easy. Uh, yeah, that's okay. so easy. Fair enough. So easy. Fair enough. We got one. We got one for one now. One for one. We're going to build up Italian. We're going we're gonna to see who yeah. comes out on top. Yeah, yeah, one for one so far. No problem with that. Bro. Right. Listen, <laughs> Kez, thank you very much for coming thank on you. today. It's been a pleasure having oh, you. Right. I know for me, it's been very insightful in hearing everything you have to say, and I'm sure it's the same for our viewers as well. Nice. And uh, so, big up Train Effective, man. You guys are doing great things, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. And thanks, Nick. Take care. Of course. Guys, uh, if you haven't already, then do check out Just Bull's channel. It is in the description below. 
Uh, also, our socials are below. Our Instagram, TikTok will be there. So check that out as well. If you're on Spotify, make sure to follow. And if you're on YouTube, do drop a like and subscribe as well. And uh, as always, thank you for watching. See you there, guys.